Hello and welcome to Speak the Words, a Cosmere podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Mango. This is a podcast where we are slowly but surely working our way through the story of the Cosmere. One entry at a time currently working on Oathbringer in Stormlight Archive, the third book. We are getting kind of close to the end of part two. Mango, do you remember what we did last time? No. First chapter last time was Teft, which hurt me. Oh, yeah. That was the first chapter? I thought that was... No. Oh, fun. Yeah. Uh, we found out that Teft is an addict. <clears throat> we had a Dalinard chapter where he spoke with good old uh, Gox in the visions. And then Lyft showed up. She's not yep. supposed to be there, but she showed up. And yep. they don't know how. And she took Gox and they left. Yes. Um, oh, and she, she said that um, Dalinar has too nice of a butt for them to trust. That's him. true. We saw a chapter with we saw two chapters with Moash where we, we caught up with him. Oh yeah, he's been taken captive uh, by the Voidbringers, and he's kind of starting to feel like maybe he's okay with it. And he also thinks that it's not just light eyes that suck; it's all the people. Everyone sucks. Yeah, he thinks that dark eyes are too eager to put themselves underneath of light eyes. Um, and so we starting to think maybe this, maybe we do kind of suck, you know? And then we had a Shalon chapter where she was in, oh yes. Okay. It was, Shalon went to a meeting of the, um, scholars that Yasna was at. And one of the scholars insulted Renarin for being there. She defended him, made fun of her. Yes. Yasna was not pleased. And then Dalinar showed up to make, um, Renarin feel better. Yeah. And Renarin gave Shalon the idea that the easiest way to not to avoid, you know, being used by Yasna is to not be there when she's looking for somebody to do something. This week, this time, we are starting with chapter 46, When the Dream Dies. It has Bridge Forest symbol, and the epigraph reads, Did you expect anything else from us? We need not suffer the interference of another. Race is contained, and we care not for his prison. This chapter is from Scar's point of view. Scar charged from the center of the market out onto the plateau and up onto one of the Oathgate platforms. The rest of Bridge 4 waited there. Sigzel was timing him. He says it had taken Scar ten minutes to reach the Oathgate, while Drahi, who had sucked in Stormlight, had took under six. They're experimenting with lashings to make it easier to run, and Sigzel says that Drahi beat Lopin's record. They waited for Kaladin to come transport them to the Shattered Plains, and he was late as usual. Teft sat down next to Scar and offered him food. Scar tells Teft that he's worried that he won't learn to suck in Stormlight, and Teft tells him there's nothing wrong with being on the support team with Rock, but Scar had waited his whole life to hold a spear. Scar tells Teft that he had tried to join Aladar's personal guard, but had been rejected. And they kind of make a point about how Bridge 4 is more open about their pa past now than they used to be before meeting Kaladin. Um, and he says, like, Teft was an addict, Drahi had struck an officer, Eth had been caught planning to desert with his brother, even Simple Hobber had been caught by a drunken brawl. Or been part of a drunken brawl. Teft questions where Kaladin is and mentions more important things that he has to do than wait. Scar hesitated, glancing up at Teft. Not that. I've barely touched the stuff in days. You'd think a man that had never a man had never had a wild night out the way you're all treating me. Didn't say a thing, Teft. Knowing what we've suffered, it's insane to think we wouldn't need something to get us through the day. The moss isn't the problem, it's the storming world going crazy. That's the problem. Sure is, Teft. Teft item. So, 
How long have the men known? I mean, did anyone... Not long, Scar said quickly. Nobody's even thinking about it. Tef nodded and didn't see through the lie. Kaladin arrived finally with the scouts and hopefuls from other bridge crews. So far, only Bridge 4 had managed to draw in Stormlight. He activated the Oath Gate and brought them all to Narok. Scar saw some of the Black Caps training with bri uh, bridges and thought back to how he'd stolen gear to try and join their ranks. He had just ended up in a bridge crew instead. His brands still hadn't healed. Another divide between him and the other men. They reached the training plateau, and Kaladin called a meeting of the officers. Several of Rock's children were setting up a water station, working with their father. Scar, Kaladin, Sigzel, Teft, and Rock all gathered together. Ugh, families. There was a noticeable gap where Moash should have been. Kaladin was still silent about it. Kaladin says that he's worried that only Bridge 4 have drawn in Stormlight, as Sil has told him that several others feel right. He had taken in more newcomers and was slightly frustrated to see that some light eyes, light eyes had been sent. He says that it wouldn't feel right to have light eyes in Bridge 4. Scar points out that Kaladin is a light eyes now, so is Renarin, and any members that get their own blade. Rock seemed like he had been a light eyed among his own people. Kaladin, get, Kaladin gets the point and says that he wants to try and get some of the recruits to swear the oaths before he has to leave for Kolinar. Rock suggests throwing them off the plateau and seeing who flies first. Teft says he'll run them through formations instead. They wonder over the nature of Radiance, whether being a squire even means that you'll ever be a Radiant. They wonder if that if uh, if that means that the squires are up to the Radiant and not the hopefuls. Like, if Kaladin and Syl are picking their squires, not if the squires are worthy of becoming a Radiant. And Scar is super uncomfortable about that possibly being the case, as he still hasn't drawn in Stormlight. Um, uh, if you're... that would make me uncomfortable, too. Kaladin tells Tef to run the recruits through formations, and to tell the rest of the men to watch out for more raids. He can't figure out why they keep attacking when the Parshman for forces were marching on Kolinar. Kaladin and Scar watched the new recruits as Tef instructed them, and Kaladin wondered about new formations they could try now that they could fly. Scar walks off to grab some water. He was about to practice with his gemstone again when he noticed Lynn sitting on a nearby rock looking dejected. She tells him how she had wanted to join this new world and feels like she's already failed. Then she realizes that it must be even worse for Scar. He tells her the story of the first time Kaladin had drawn in Stormlight. Not after Teft had told him, not after the high storm, the real first time. He says, I was there, second row, bridge run, bridge run bad one. We were charging the plateau and a lot of Parshendi had set up. They dropped most of the first row, all but Kaladin. That exposed me, right beside him, second row. In those days, you didn't have good odds running near the front. The Parshendi wanted to take down our bridge and they focused their shots on us, on me. I knew I was dead. I knew it. I saw the arrows coming and I breathed a last prayer, hoping the next life wouldn't be quite so bad. Then, then the arrows moved, Lin. They storming swerved toward Kaladin. There's a special lashing you can do, which makes things curve in the air. Kaladin painted the wood above his hands with stormlight and drew the arrows toward him, instead of me. That's the first time I can say I knew something special was happening. Back then, Kaladin didn't eat, did it without even knowing what he was doing. Maybe we were just trying too hard, you know? But it doesn't make sense. They say you have to suck it in. What does that even mean? No idea. They each describe it differently, and it's breaking my brain trying to figure it out. They talk about a sharp intake of breath, only not really for breathing. Which, it, which is perfectly clear. Tell me about it. It worked best for Kaladin when he didn't stress. It was harder when he focused on making it happen. So I'm supposed to accidentally but deliberately breathe something in without breathing, but not try too hard at it. Doesn't it just make you want to string a lot of them up in the storms? But their advice is all we got. So, 
Lynn looked at the stone, then held it close to her face and breathed in. Nothing happened, so she tried again. And again. For a solid ten minutes. I don't know, Scar. I keep thinking, maybe I don't belong here. If you haven't noticed, none of the women have managed this. I kind of forced my way among you all, and nobody asked, Stop. Stop right there. You want to be a Windrunner? More than anything. Why? Because I want to soar. Not good enough. Kaladin, he wasn't thinking about being left out or how great it would be to fly. He was thinking about saving the rest of us. Saving me. Why do you want to be in the Windrunners? Because I want to help. I want to do something other than stand around waiting for the enemy to come to us. Well, you have a chance, Lin. A chance nobody has had for ages. A chance in millions. Either you seize it, and in so doing, decide you're worthy, or you leave and give up. He pressed the gemstone back down into her hand. But if you leave, you don't get to complain. As long as you keep trying, there's a chance. When you give up, that's when the dream dies. She met his eyes and breathed in with a sharp, distinct breath, then started glowing. She yelped in surprise and opened her hand to find the gemstone within done. She looked at him in awe. What did you do? Nothing, Scar said. Maybe this was his lot, helping others become radiance. A trainer? A facilitator? Teft saw Lynn glowing, then dashed over. He grabbed her by the arm and towed her toward Kaladin. Scar took in a long, satisfied breath. Well, that was two he'd helped so far, counting Rock. He... he could live with that, couldn't he? He got another drink from Rock and told him that he was thinking of joining the support team. I might not ever learn to fly, but I, and I need to come to terms with that fact, so I'll have to find another way to help out. Ha! And the fact that you are glowing with Stormlight right now is not at all consideration and decision? Scar froze. Tiny wisps of Stormlight curled off his hand. He looked up at Rock, then grinned stupidly. I suppose, Rock said, I can maybe have you wash dishes, though you do keep throwing my cups on ground. Is not proper respect at all. He, he trailed off as Scar left him, running for the others and whooping with excitement. And that is the <laughs> end of the chapter. Aww. He had to kind of be at peace with himself a little bit first. Aww. Let's go. Chapter 47 is titled So Much is Lost, and it has... Yasna's symbol. The epigraph reads, Indeed, we admire his initiative. Perhaps if you had approached the correct one of us with your plea, it would have found favorable audience. Yasna is reading the recorded words of the madman that had come to Kolinar. And I will read what is written. It says, I am Telenalel Elin, herald of war. The time of the return, the desolation, is near at hand. We must prepare. You will have forgotten much following the destruction of the times past. Kalak will teach you to cast bronze if you have forgotten this. We will soul cast blocks of metal directly for you. I wish we could teach you steel, but casting is so much easier than forging, and you must have something so we can produce quickly. Your stone tools will not serve against what is to come. Videl can train your so surgeons, and Yezrian will teach you leadership. So much is lost between returns. I will train your soldiers. We should have time. Yishar keeps talking about a way to keep information from being lost following desolations, and you have discovered something unexpected. We will use that. Surge binders to act as guardians. Knights. The coming days will be difficult, but with training, humanity will survive. You must bring me to your leaders. The other heralds should join us soon. I think I am late this time. I think... I fear... Oh God, that I have failed. No, this is not right, is it? How long has it been? Where am I? I... am Telenalin, herald of war. The time of the return, the desolation is near at hand. Ivory, her spren, stood next to her, full size like a human. He wore a formal suit with his hands clasped behind his back. He was completely jet black and red over her shoulder. Three span reeds worked in the corner. 
They were each connected to scribes in Tashik who were rewriting every page of her notes, which she had sent there to keep safe. This speaker, Yasna, Ivory said. This one who said these words. This person is a herald. Our suspicions are true. The heralds are, and the fallen one still is. We need to find him, Yasna said. We must search Shadesmar, Ivory said. In this wor world, men can hide easily, but their souls shine out to us on the other side. Unless someone knows how to hide them. We've lost so much time. Yes, we must catch what we have lost, Yasna. We must. The enemy? He stirs. He angers. We are not before him, Yasna. He would destroy my kind and yours. Yasna asks Ivory what he thinks of Shallan, and he says that she is troubling and unstable. Ivory, you think all humans are unstable. Not you. You are like a spread. You think by facts. You change not on simple whims. You are as you are. She gave him a flat stare. Mostly. Mostly. But it is, Yasna. Compared to other humans, you are practically a stone. She sighed. Yasna? Am I in error? I'm not so much a stone as you think, Ivory. Sometimes I wish I were. These words trouble you. Why? You have met, read many troubling things. Yasna settled back. Something stirred deep within her. Glimmers of memory from a dark room, screaming her voice ragged. A childhood illness nobody else seemed to remember, for all it had done to her. It had taught her that people she, she loved could still hurt her. Have you ever wondered how it would feel to lose your sanity, Ivory? Ivory nodded. I have wondered this. How could I not? Considering what the ancient fathers are. You call me logical, Yasna whispered. It's untrue, as I let my passions rule me as much as many. In my times of peace, however, my mind has always been the one thing I could rely upon. Except once. She shook her head, picking up the paper again. I fear losing that, y Ivory. It terrifies me. How would it have felt to be these heralds? To suffer your mind slowly becoming untrustworthy? Are they too far gone to know? Or are there lucid moments where they strain and sort through memories, trying frantically to decide which are reliable and which are fabrications? She shivered. The Ancient Ones, Ivory said, nodding. He didn't often speak of the Spren who had been lost during the Recreants. Ivory and his fellows had been mere children, well, the Spren equivalent at the time. They spent years, centuries, with no older Spren to nurture and guide them. The Ink Spren were only now beginning to recover the culture and society they had lost when men abandoned her, their vows. Your ward, Ivory said. Her Spren. A cryptic. Which is bad? Ivory nodded. Cryptics are trouble. They enjoy lies, Yasna. Feast upon them. Speak one word untrue at a gathering, and seven cluster around you. Their humming fills your ears. Have you warred with them? One does not war with cryptics as one does honor spren. Cryptics have but one city, and do not wish to rule more, only to listen. He tapped the table. Perhaps this one is better, with the bond. Ivory was the only new generation ink spren to form a radiant bond. Some of his fellows would have rather would rather have killed Yasna instead of letting him risk what he had done. Shalon won't listen to me any longer. She rebels against every little thing I tell her. These last few months on her own have changed the child. She never obeyed well, Yasna. That is who she is. In the past, at least she pretended to care about my teaching. But you have said more humans should question their places in life. Did you not say that they too often accept uh, truth as fact? She tapped the table. You're right, of course. Wouldn't I rather have her straining against her boundaries as opposed to happily living within them? Whether she obeys me or not is of little import. But I do worry about her ability to command her situation, rather than letting her impulses command her. How do you change this, if it is? An excellent question. All ten orders are again, Ivory said. Ten orders, Yasna said, all ended in death. All but one. They lived in death instead. She turned around and he met her eyes with his own. We must tell the others what we learned from Wit, Ivory. 
Eventually, this secret must be known. Yasna, no. It would be the end. Another recreance. The truth has not destroyed me. You are special. No knowledge is that can destroy you. But the others... We shall see, she said. And that is the end of the chapter. Yasna remembers being locked in a dark room and uh, an illness that nobody seems to remember. Uh, so... Uh, you missed it, the, but I said, is this the beginning of Frozen? <laughs> the predominant... Uh, not the predominant. This isn't the predominant. Because I, I think my theory is the predominant theory. But the theory that a lot of people go to that I've seen, and I completely disagree with it, but I will present it, is that uh, somebody forced themselves on Yasna as a child. Um, some people think it was Amaram, and that's why she hates him so much in her prologue. I don't think that's the case. I don't think I think Sanderson is a better writer than to have one of her main motivations be that she was assaulted uh, in her youth. I don't think that's what happened, but that how is does, what. How does that make sense? How does that count as an illness? The uh, it, it doesn't. But they really lean into the line about how she says that she learned that even people that like you love can't trust you. So she thinks that like they mean- they lean into that. Or that you can't trust them. Sorry, um, yeah. but it, I was thinking. It I was think it's probably a ridiculous something theory. to do with her dad. So that's my theory. My theory is I think Gavilar was trying to intentionally break her to turn her into a radiant. We don't know for certain yet because we haven't gotten Yasna's book. But I think that that Gavilar abused Yasna in an attempt to get her to bring her powers back. I think it fits with what we know of um, the Sons of Honor are trying to return the powers and that the sons of honor had a connection to Teft's group. Um, they weren't directly connected, but maybe inspired. Why would she never mention her hatred for her father? Then I don't know. Uh, there's, she says that nobody seems to be able to remember that this happened. And I think part of it is probably she was very young when it happened. And so trauma does weird things to people. Um, well, yeah, uh, but and even we, then, she would still have this inherent, like, PTSD about her dad, and that was never mentioned. I mean, she hasn't really had a chance to mention it yet. We saw her flashback chapter, and anytime she mentioned her dad, there wasn't, like, any... She still was upset about his death. Well, yeah. So, uh, I'm saying I mean, but, there wasn't any like yeah. neg- negative yeah. like hints towards him during her point of view. I think it could be an inconsistency in the writing. It could be that trauma does weird things and she has an attachment to her father and that is a conflicting feeling with how he treated her. But I think he's the only one that really makes sense to have done this to her. I think, I, I think Gavilar was trying for a radiant and he didn't really care who he hurt in the process. Gavilar is not a good person, or wasn't a good person. He's dead. I mean, yeah. I guess the only person it makes sense to do this would be her dad, but also there was no mention of anything like it. Yeah. Ever. It, so. it could be an oversight in her in her prologue. I think it not being mentioned in any of the other chapters is reasonable, but definitely in her prologue it probably should have come up. But Yeah, it should have. I, I could also put that up to... Just her having conflicted feelings because of trauma. 
Yeah, but if she had conflicted feelings, she would have expressed conflicted feelings. Like, not putting anything there suggests to me that either it was an oversight or he hadn't. Or it's I not could true. see that that ha- that yeah I I don't know I don't know what it's gonna be it it could be like I don't know maybe she didn't even remember it until she formed her friend bond like I'm really getting into like fucking wild theory mode at this point because we know literally nothing about this. Um, She'd already had her friend bond during the prologue. She forms she forms her friend bond during the prologue. That's the first time she meets Ivory, is when um, all that stuff is happening. Oh, like, that's the first if time. She, if she does is if she's has a spren bond, it's like early stages. Like she doesn't know until the prologue. Like that's her first moment where she's like, "Oh shit, I'm doing something weird." Mm. So you don't think she would have remembered by then? I mean, I don't know if she had forgotten too. Like I, this is all theorizing at this point. If whatever has made everybody forget about it has also made also made her forget about it, then I could see that. Her spread bond brought it back, but I don't know. Is there someone who can change memories besides like the Night Watcher? There is. There are ways to alter memories. Yeah, there's. um, So I I don't think this is what happened, but I will remind you that in Warbreaker, at the uh, after they save that little girl that's been kidnapped, at one point, uh, Vasher leans down whispers something to her and then when vivenna catches back up the little girl is completely forgotten about what happened to her so i don't know if that's the exact thing that has happened or if it's something similar but um there's at least a method of doing it yeah but to do that like across everyone Mm -hmm. i guess you'd only need to get who dalinar I mean, Dalinar was so fucking drunk, he might not have even noticed it. You'd have to get Dalinar, maybe, um, Navani. I think you'd really just have to get Navani and Elicar. And Elicar was a kid, he might not have even known. I guess, but... I don't know, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. I'm excited to find out one day, Sanderson. Please, dear God, Yasna's my favorite character besides Renarin, I need to know. Um... Something something tells me that maybe the illness and maybe the like mistreatment didn't cause the illness, but the illness caused the mistreatment. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Cause that that would it- make more sense. Like if she had an illness that meant that she couldn't trust her family because they like I don't know, quarantined her, stayed away from her. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she was kept away from her family, and so no one really knew about it. People think uh, it has something to do with insanity and psychosis because of her being said, her saying that she was locked in a dark room. They talk about last book. That's what they do with the with people that have like mental issues in this world. Is they lock them up in a dark room. That's what happened to Tom when he got to the work camps. Um. And they'll they actually will dive further into how they deal treat people with mental disabilities in the next book. It's kind of crazy. I didn't expect it to be such a big part of the next book, but it's a pretty big part of it. Um, That's but, concerning. No, it's Thanks. really good. It's it it really is some of my favorite stuff about the next book. Is it got it warms my heart. It's really good. Oh, it could be um, good writing, but it's also concerning. 
It's 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 like a way where a character goes, hang on a second, we're doing what to people that have mental illnesses? No, 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 no. We can't do that. <laughs> like, it's somebody finally seeing that the way we're treating these people is terrible. We need to fix it. It's very good. But learning about what they have been doing mm. until now yeah. is it's concerning. Gonna <laughs> yeah, it's going to suck. It's not good. Uh, chapter 48 is titled Rhythm of Work. It has Moash's symbol. The epigraph reads... But we stand alone in the sea, pleased with our domains. Leave us alone. Moash is pulling a cart with broken wheels across central Alethkar. He consi considers it paradise compared to the bridge crews. Around him, other men pulled wagons and similar carts. Some had been sent back on the first day, deemed too weak. The ones that had been deemed faking were whipped and then set back at it. He considered the treatment harsh, but fair. The Voidbringers impressed him in their treatment of the human workers. Good rations and plenty of rest. They weren't even chained up. Moash found himself enjoying the time, allowing it to exhaust his body and quiet his thoughts. What happened at the Shattered Plains wasn't my fault, he thought. I was pushed into it. I can't be blamed. These thoughts comforted him. It didn't take him long to recognize the path they took. The Voidbringers were marching to Kolinar, tens of thousands of parchment with weapons. Everything was converging on the capital. Should that bother him? After all, what had Kolinar ever done to him, or for him? It was the place where his grandparents had been left to die, cold and alone in a prison cell. It was where the blighted King Elokar had danced and connived while good people rotted. Did humankind even deserve this kingdom? He knew that long ago, humankind had won. Aharetium, the final confrontation with the Voidbringers, had happened thousands of years ago. What had they done with that victory? They'd set up false gods in the form of men whose eyes reminded them of the Night's Radiant. The life of men over the centuries had been nothing more than a long string of murders, wars, and thefts. The Voidbringers had obviously returned because men had proven they couldn't govern themselves. That was why the Almighty had sent this scourge. Indeed, the more he marched, the more Moash admired the Voidbringers. Each group of humans were overlooked by two parchment overseers who took instructions from Invisible Spren. They treated him well, even replacing his boots when they grew worn. The Voidbringers were smart, driven, and efficient. If Kolinar fell to this force, it would be no more than humankind deserved. Yes, perhaps the time for his people had passed. Moash had failed Kaladin and the others, but that was merely how men were in this debased age. He couldn't be blamed. He was a product of his culture. Only one oddity marred his observations. The Voidbringers seemed so much better than the human armies he'd been part of. Except for one thing. There was a group of Parshman slaves. They walked apart from the humans and were treated more poorly. They were constantly being beaten or abused. Moash's heart wrenched to see and hear this. Who were these poor souls? They took a break towards the, uh, the final stretch towards Kolinar. A village burned behind them, but nobody had been there as word of the caravan had spread ahead. Moash saw Bridge 4 uh, as they had been before Kaladin in the Parchment Slaves. As the Parchment Slaves caught up to the main group, they were told to continue marching. One of Moash's overseers gave the order. She wore traditional Voran uh, Hava and even covered her safe hand. What'd they do anyway, he said. What was that? she asked. Moash was surprised that he found her quite pretty. That parchment crew. What did they do to deserve such rough treatment? He, had an a he didn't actually expect an answer, but the parchwoman followed his gaze, then shook her head. They harbored a false god, brought him into the very center among us. The Almighty? She laughed. A real false god. A living one. Like our living gods, she looked up as one of the fused passed overhead. There are lots who think the Almighty is real, Moash said. If that's the case, why are you pulling a sledge? They continued marching. Moash caught up with the parchment crew and tried to stay near them to motivate them. Then one of them slipped and fell, and the entire team lurched to a stop. 
The whipping began, the cries, the crack of leather on skin. That's enough. Moash dropped his rope and stepped out of the line. He sh his shocked overseers called after him but didn't follow. The large parchment who had slipped lay, curled, uh, slipped lay curled on the ground. His feet were bleeding. Two overseers were whipping him. Moash seized one by the shoulder and pushed him back. Stop it, he snapped, then shoved the other overseer aside. Don't you see what you're doing? You're becoming like us. The two overseers stared at him, dumbfounded. You can't abuse each other, Moash sa said. You can't. He turned toward the fallen parchment and extended a hand to help him up, but from the corner of his eye he saw one of the overseers raise, an ar uh, raise his arm. Moash spun and caught the whip that cracked at him, snatching it from the air. Then he yanked it, pulling the overseer stumbling toward him. Moash smashed a fist into his face, uh, slamming him backward to the ground. He shook his head and glared at the other overseer, who yelped and dropped his whip, jumping backward. Moash nodded once, then took the fallen slave by the arm and pulled him upright. Ride in the sledge. Heal those feet. He took the parchment slave's place in line and pulled the rope taut over his shoulder. By now, his own overseers had gathered their wits and chased after him. They conferred with the two that he confronted. Finally, they decided to let it be. Moash pulled the sledge with the parchment and they found someone to replace him on the other sledge. For a while, he thought more would come of it. He even saw one of the overseers conferring with the fused, but they didn't punish him. No one dared to again raise a whip against the parchment crew the rest of the march. And that is the end of the chapter. We have one more chapter tonight. It is chapter 49, Born Unto Light. It has Dalinar's flashback symbol, and it is 23 years ago. Dalinar is using fire moss and a shitty fighting den trying to escape his life of boring politicking without the thrill. Havar and Bashan are with him. Uh, Bashan is the huntmaster and scoutmaster in the current day, and Havar is one of the um, soldiers that died at the tower in Book One. They're watching a wrestling match, with, uh, which brings Dalinar back to the violence of battle. He gets absorbed in it until he remembers the moment when he'd almost killed Gavilar. While they're watching, Havar asks Dalinar when they're going to put down the rebellion at the rift. Dalinar says that they aren't going, as he's about to be a father, and Gavilar is handling it with diplomacy. Havar seems unsure that Gavilar will be able to do so. The feature match is cancelled, as one of the wrestlers is unable to go on, and so Dalinar volunteers to fight instead, relapsing into his violent tendencies. Everyone seems uncomfortable at the idea, and the entire crowd quickly disperses. He returned to his seat, frustrated that he didn't have the thrill to comfort him. He tells Havar that he wants to be with the army again, and Havar says that they need to go find a fight, whether it's at the Rift or in another country. Dalinar is upset by how uncomfortable everyone in the den had gotten at his request to wrestle in the match, and Havar reminds him of a tavern fight a few weeks back. They told him that everyone was fine, but really it meant that no one had died. One of the brawlers would never, would never walk again, another had his arm amputated, and the third one could no longer speak. Dalinar grew even angrier, the fire moss not enough to quell his desire for the thrill. He felt all the shame of losing control, but none of the satisfaction of actually getting to fight. He's about to f uh, throw a, f a fit over his drink, being empty, when Toe entered the den. He says that the guards had told him that Dalinar was here, and is clear clearly disgusted by the location. Dalinar asks Toe what he came for. Oh, the Rearin man said. They were going to send a messenger, but I wanted to deliver the news. My sister, you see. It's a little early, but the midwives aren't surprised. They say it's natural when... Dalinar gasped like he'd been punched in the stomach. Early. Midwives. Sister. He charged through the door and didn't hear the rest of what Toe said. Evie looked like she'd fought in a battle. 
She tells him that the baby is a healthy and strong son. The nurse is about to tell Dalinar not to be nervous about holding the baby, but Dalinar just grabs the child and lifts him into the air. May you have your father's strength, Dalinar thought, and at least some of your mother's compassion, little one. Looking into that face, swelling with joy, Dalinar finally understood. This was why Gavilar thought so much about the future, about Alethkar, about crafting a kingdom that would last. Dalinar's life so far had stained him crimson and thrashed his soul. But this boy, he could rule the princedom, support his cousin, the king, and live a life of honor. An Ardent asks what the name will be, and Dalinar tells her that it will be Adoda for light and Lynn for born unto, Adolin. The people begin to file out of the room to give Dalinar and Evie privacy, and Dalinar notices for the first time that Gavilar had been there in the back. Gavilar leads Dalinar out of the room. He congratulates Dalinar, but says that something is wrong. He try- or, but something uh, is clearly wrong, and he tries to-, to deny it, but Dalinar gets him to open up. Dalinar asks if it's about Yasna's lunacy, but Gavilar says that she's fine and recovering. He says that he's failing with his attempts at diplomacy at the Rift. Do you ever wonder about the time when this kingdom was truly great, Dalinar? Gavilar asked. When people looked to the Alethi, when kings sought their advice, when we were radiant. Traitors, Dalinar said. Does the act of a single generation negate many generations of domination? We revere the Sunmaker when his reign lasted but the blink of an eye, yet we ignore the centuries the, la- the radiance led. How many desolations did they defend mankind? Um, ten? A meaningless number. The histories just say ten because it sounds significant. Either way, I have failed in my diplomatic efforts. It, he turned toward Dalinar. It is time to show the kingdom that we are not soft, brother. Hours ago, he would have leaped in excitement, but after seeing that child... You'll be anxious again in a few days, Dalinar told himself. A man can't change in a moment. Gavilar, he said. I'm worried. You're still the Blackthorn, Dalinar. I'm not worried about whether I can win battles. I'm like an animal, Gavilar. Did you hear about the bar fight? Storms. I can't be trusted around people. You are what the Almighty made you. I'm telling you, I'm dangerous. Sure, I can crush this little rebellion, bathe Oathbringer in some blood. Great, wonderful. Then what? I come back here and lock myself in a cage again? I might have something that will help. Ugh. I've tried living a quiet life. I can't live through endless politics, like you can. I need more than just words. You've merely been trying to restrain yourself. You try, you've tried casting out the bloodthirst, but you haven't replaced it with anything else. Go. Do what I command, then return and we can discuss further. Dalinar stepped, uh, stopped near his brother, then took a single pu- purposeful step into his shadow. Remember this. Remember you serve him. He would never return to that place that had almost led him to attack the man. Gavilar says that Dalinar won't ride to the rift immediately, that there are threats from Herdaz and the Vadens. He tells Dalinar to go fight on the borders to show the world that the Alethi still have strength. It will be done, Dalinar said. He wanted to see the child again. Brother, Gavilar said. Dalinar turned back and regarded Gavilar. Words are important, Gavilar said, much more than you give them credit for being. Perhaps, but if they were all-powerful, you wouldn't need my sword, would you? Perhaps. I can't help feeling words would be enough, if I only knew the right ones to say. And that is the end of the chapter. And that is where we're going to stop for now. Words would be enough for Gavilar if he could only figure out the right ones to say. Well, too bad. He's dead. (laughs) Next time, we're going to get... Oh, we're going to get... Next time, we're going to get the uh, Relaine chapter. And then the time after next time, we are going to get to a scene that, like the Battle of the Tower and 
Like the the ending of last book is a scene that I really wanted to do when we started the podcast. For now, though, thanks everybody for listening. If you guys want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Speak Stormlight. We're on Discord. Uh, there's a uh, we have a Discord server, is what I meant to say. The uh, link to join is in the episode description. Uh, you can email us at speakthewordsasp at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Sean underscore AFK. And our cover art was made by our good friend Alex at Alex underscore Big Boy. All the links are in the episode description. Thank you guys again. And as always, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination.